Philip, um, you inherited, I think, a, a five-year strategy when you took over at SFI. I'd imagine you have been looking at that and seeing, look, does it need to be finessed? But give us an overview about how things are. How is the state of research innovation um, and the, the, way, the way things are? I mean, Dermot mentioned about the big pot of money that's there, 95 billion at European level. So what are your first thoughts on having got your feet under the desk? So the first thought is things are actually very good. And I need to say that's one of the things I learned during the pandemic. If things are good, you better say they're good because it might not always be so. So let's, let's celebrate the success that we've had. I mean, we are sixth in Europe on the European Innovation Scoreboard. If you look down that league table, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Netherlands, Belgium, then there's a gap. Then there's Ireland, and then there's France, Germany, and others behind us. So we score 130, Sweden scores 150, France and Germany 115, on a very decent uh, index of the full ecosystem of innovation in a country. So, so to, a, to a certain extent, and in particular um, in, in the kind of research that translates into immediate or short-term societal and economic benefit, we're performing extremely well by international standards. The second statistic, and then I'll move on. Institute of Physics did a UK and Ireland-wide survey of physics-based enterprises and asked them, you know, how do you access academic expertise and infrastructure? 33% of Irish enterprises said through university partnerships, some sponsored by SFI, many sponsored by institutions themselves, 17% of UK-based enterprises. So we're twice the British Isles kind of norm uh, for engagement between academia and enterprise. What concerns me, the bit that concerns me is um, we're still dining out to a certain extent on massive investments in fundamental research that are pre-global financial crisis. Uh, so the people and the infrastructure we're using were the last big wave of investment. There's plenty going on in the interim, and you, you, uh, Dermot mentioned SFI research centres, which are a real hotbed of, of, of innovative research. But the big strategic thing we need to do over the next five to ten years is renew our investment in the fundamentals of physics, chemistry, biology, mathematics, and the skills uh, uh, in engineering, and the skills in humanities and social sciences that explain all of this, the where we want to go and how we want to change our society. If we fail to pay attention to those fundamentals, and it's our biggest weakness on the European Innovation Scoreboard, we, were, we will fail to sow the seeds for future success. So we won't be in this happy position in 10 or 15 years' time if we don't attend to the fundamentals Orla, now. Orla, I think you're nodding there mm. in agreement with yeah. Philip. So what's the fix? Uh, a fix is a reorientation. So pendulums tend to swing very dramatically in this country. So around the time of the financial crisis, SFI in particular took, uh, and the department that, that, that oversees it, took what was at that point a very reasonable decision to focus our research investment on industry-facing research, so the stuff that is very, very close to market, and did that really, really well, as Philip has said. And, and that was very important to us at the time. But you leave something behind when you do that. So we need to make sure we have a balanced research ecosystem from the deeply fundamental research that sets us up for you know, 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to have that, as well as the industry-facing stuff. You don't want to swing back so you're only doing the fundamentals. You need the mix. You need early career researchers to be supported, as well as later career established researchers. You need arts, humanities, social sciences to be supported, just as the STEM disciplines are. So I think, number one, we need more balance. Number two, and, and you know, you, you feel it so trite to say it, because you're always saying it, but we do need more funding. And that is, as Philip has suggested, one of the areas in that European Innovation Scorecard where we do fall short. You 
know, national investment in R&D is significantly lower than it is in those countries that are the innovation leaders. So we are in the strong innovators, those are the innovation leaders. And you know, any benchmark you take, you look at the percentage spend. So the target in our last strategy, Innovation 2020, was to get to 2.5% of GNP. Started off as 2.5% of GDP in Europe, and then we kind of slipped it back to 2.5% of GNP. We started off that strategy around 2015 at 1.55%, looking to get to 2.5%. We got up to 1.63%. So, you know, we are way off the base in terms of what our European competitors are spending uh, on their R&D. So, you know, more balance and more funding. So is it a question, John, of turning to the government or is it a combination of public and private? I think it's the word all I use there, which is balance. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm, I'm always going to favour research closer to the markets. But I think that would be a mistake to actually to chase that short-term goal um, and look at KPIs and constrain foundational research just by, by outcomes. Um, but I think the conversation, is it research that we want, or do you want to have innovation, or do you want to have R&D, or, or do you want to have entrepreneurship? Because they're all slightly different things, and they need slightly, slightly different uh, uh, focus. So, for example, a lot of a lot of the times I see in universities. <coughs> Uh, intellectual property being licensed out of universities um, and they even have offices called technology transfer offices and the, their role with industry liaison is actually to to have some, some maybe some science foundation island supported research then would actually be licensed out of the out of the university <coughs> and there may be a business model there there's there's patent fees and licensing fees that go back um, what i would like to see more of is companies to come out of the universities and jobs and entrepreneurs to follow those ideas out into technology parks. And I think the institutes are great gateways to allow that. And then companies like Enterprise Ireland or other um, innovation entrepreneurship groups support those ideas and build companies, not just licensing ideas out. Um, the, the challenge with that is that if you are a research professor doing that research, it's very difficult then to actually set up a company or do you postpone your research and then if that company fails, which many do, then, then what do you do after that? So I think there's a real ecosystem challenge about do we license ideas out or do we actually try and spin out companies and have um, societal benefit through, through employment? Do you have a view on that, Philip, as to how to get that achieved? Yeah, and it's kind, of a, it's kind of a boring one in a way, because one of the things that we need to make sure of as Science Foundation, Aaron, is there are other state agencies and other actors in the system, and we shouldn't be doing their job sure. because they're better at their job. Yeah, but you must have learned an awful lot <coughs> from no, practical no. experience during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. You were at the interface of science, medicine, and government in the middle of a vast crisis yeah. uh, that changed virtually by the day. So you must be able to draw on the experience and the observations there. Yeah, you, you can bring the state together to common purpose. That's, and, and that's my point. I, I think the big thing we need to hear is that uh, Science Foundation Ireland and Enterprise Ireland need to be sharper in how they align their work. Yeah. And there needs to be no gaps in the middle. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, 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 that is what I learned during the pandemic, is things fall through the cracks because everybody's quite siloed in what they do, and sometimes even defensive of what they do. So, so the first thing that needs to happen is, is, is a very significant strategic conversation between ourselves, Enterprise Ireland and the institutions about those issues around protection of intellectual property and the flow of information and spinning in. The second thing is kind of intangible. Um, uh, 
yes, in order to successfully commercialize a piece of research in university, you, you need funding and structures, but you need these intangible things around confidence and support. So for, for many of our professorial colleagues, it's not that there's any risk, actually. You can step outside the university system and step back in very easily. But simply having the confidence or self-belief to say, you know, I'll, I'll go, I will translate this into a real product or a real service. It's not their core business. So one thing we really do need to invest in, and in the grand scale of things, it's a pretty marginal investment, is simply that um, uh, level of support and scouting mm -hmm. the system and saying, look, I really think you could do this. And, and bringing people along in that way. That's, that's, that's the fundamental transition we need. So better national strategy, I think. It's, it's a good strategy, but there's gaps. And uh, 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 that kind of support. Orla? Yeah, agree completely. And, and there are interesting things that we're doing. Um, so for me, an awful lot of it, as, as Philip has indicated, is about people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and very often when an academic comes up with an idea, in some cases they are exactly the right person to take it all the way along its journey. A company like APC out in Cherrywood, founded by my yeah. colleague in UCD Engineering, Brian Gannon. Brilliant, brilliant company, taken all the way by Brian and, and, and Mark Barrett, who did his postdoc with them. Um, but other times you need somebody else to come in. So that's something that we're doing a lot of in UCD, trying to matchmake entrepreneurs maybe serial entrepreneurs with the academic who might have the idea but for whatever reason doesn't want to be the way want to take it all the way another really interesting program we have is the bioinnovate program in Galway where they have these bioinnovate fellows and it's in the, the area of medical devices and so on and biomedical research so, so you know a really exciting area very geographically uh, concentrated for us in Galway and they got the bioinnovate fellows and they put them in the clinical environment for a period and then they put them in university research labs so they really immerse them in all sides of medical device research and development, and then they are trained to go out. It's based on a program in Stanford. Then they are trained to go out and do this uh, you know, themselves, and many of them have gone on to be really successful entrepreneurs. So Enterprise Ireland are looking to scale that program, an immersive-type program, into other areas. I think that's a great idea. How open do you think the academics are in the various institutions to the kind of coordination and cooperation Philip was talking about? Or is there a hesitancy there? He mentioned silos, for instance, and people don't want to be told or directed too much uh, about how they, how they do their business. Uh, well, you know, I, I, academics are sensible people and they can, you know, read the right of the role and so on. Uh, well, they, they treasure their academic freedom and, and rightly so, but at the same time, they want to make sure that their ideas get out there into the world. And all the dynamics in academia at the moment are that if you hide away in your ivory tower, that is not the way to success. It's about making sure that your ideas get out into the world, which is, you know, human beings, everybody wants to do. You want to make, see, see your work make a difference. And people very much understand that there are schemes now to help them do that, and they are very happy to engage. Collaboration is now really part of the academic DNA in Ireland. That's something that particularly with the multi-institutional SFI research centres over the last decade or more, we've really seen academics come together in pursuit of common goals. So yeah, freedom, yes, but people understand the need to collaborate and to get ideas translated. Philip, your, your predecessor in the uh, early pages of the strategy that was um, unveiled last year, Mark Ferguson, uh, he talked about how, and this has been emphasised here this morning, um, that public investment in R&D and uh, innovation <coughs> is essential to catalyse and crowd in business investment in Ireland, and, we, and that both need to grow. Uh, he, ta he says, well, the EU commented for the more advanced member states like Ireland, underinvestment in the public science base may jeopardise their capacity to be at the technical, technological frontier and generate the knowledge and skills needed to fully reap the benefits of the digital and green transitions. 
Now, you alluded, I think, to the fact that a lot of the investment had taken place on the last wave pre-crisis. Uh, how well matched is the strategy that's there and public policy through government, yeah, program for government, to the opportunities that are there with this 95 billion European fund? Um, good, but not as good as it could be. And, and the not as good as it could be relates to our capacity to attract and retain talent. Like the, the, what's going to draw down a significant engagement with the European Union is having the talent and mobilizing the talent. Mm. And we do well in both respects. There's, there's extraordinary talent in, 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 in the university system. But I, I'm back to this issue that talent is attracted by the capacity to work at the frontiers. Mm. Um, and and, and there, there is an outstanding concern here. Is Ireland willing to invest sustainably and in the long term in frontiers research? And if we do that then, the really bright people are going to, come, are going to want to continue to come and work here and stay here. And then the second trick is to mobilise people across institutions, including through things like centres, uh, to draw that down. Though again, a lot of that money in a, in a kind of a vision rate by the European Union is available to the individual. Mm -hmm. There's kind of a mythology around this. There's a, there's a, one of the things that we need to remember about individual-led research or curiosity-led research is no academic colleague is going to waste their time working on something that they believe not to be the most important question they can address at that time. You know, mm -hmm. this is your life's work. So one of the reasons that we sponsor <coughs> colleagues to say, what is it you find really interesting? is the things that they find most interesting are the things that are going to be most important. Um, so, so again, wh what's, the, what's the most important thing that we can do in order to optimise our participation in Horizon Europe, send a clear signal that there's sustained investment in, in fundamental as well as enterprise-facing research. And I, I, I hope I didn't give the impression that we want to dial down the enterprise-facing research. No, we want to balance it with an equal and long-term commitment to sustainable. And just one final thing. Now, today we're celebrating the award of the Nobel Prize in Physics. That was for work that the people did way back in their careers, 20, 30, 40 years ago, at the fundamentals of quantum mechanics that were now saying, this is brilliant, we can use it for quantum computing. They had no idea back then that would be the application, but that is the application now. It's a long game. The long game is as important as the short game. Orla, a key objective, and this is just to pick you up on, on the point Philip's making, uh, of public policy is to recruit world-leading researchers and rising stars to move to Ireland. Is there much of that happening? I, I want to answer a slightly different question first, Sean, as the politicians <laughs> often do. Um, because it follows of course. on, although it's related. Um, and and it's, it, it's something that I say whenever I have a microphone these days, I, I make the point about our PhD students. Mm. PhD students... I was coming to that, but go ahead okay, anyway. thank you. Yes, yeah. PhD students are at the core of any research system, okay? They, they are the ones very often who are doing the experiments, who often are writing the papers under the supervision of their supervisor. But they, number one, they do the research that, that, that we prize so greatly. Number two, they are the research of the, research of the researchers of the future, but they also move out in, into the economy and they take on jobs. Most don't go on into academia, most go out, out into knowledge-facing jobs that are central to an, an economy like ours. 
we are not treating our PhD students nearly well enough at the moment in this country in terms of what we pay them by way of stipends. So those who are funded by competitive stipends, you can't just decide I'm going to do a PhD, rock up and give me my stipend. Okay, you have to compete for these stipends. And the national stipend at the moment is, it's just gone up in the budget from 18,500 a year to 19,000. Now you can't live on that in That's Dublin. minimum wage. Full stop. It's mm. below minimum wage, it's mm. below living wage. Mm. It is, you cannot live on that amount of money in Ireland. And we are seeing that at the coalface. PhD students are turning down offers in Ireland or else they come to Ireland. We had a PhD student in UCD recently came from Chile, halfway around the world, found they couldn't, they couldn't live in Ireland on that amount of money and they went straight back home again. So, so you, can't, you cannot sustain a research base so if you don't have the PhD before students. Before I let you answer the question I asked, yeah, which I, I want Philip to respond remember. to the point you've just well, made. I'll, 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 say, I'll say two separate things. First of all, um, so I was at, down in the Dublin Institute for Advanced Studies, 120 people, outstanding researchers, working at the forefront of uh, physics, astronomy, and Celtic studies. Some of them will stay in that, others will end up in all sorts of walks of life, bringing that kind of skill to what they do. The, the PhD students in that room are as important to our future as the superstar research professors we might also be attracting. So. I, 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 second, I work for the minister. The minister has just announced a 500 euro increase in stipends. I need to go and talk to the minister now about is that going to work or not. So I, th I think we're, we're all hearing the message. It's an, it's an obvious yeah. message. It, how, can, how can we attract the best talent to come and research here if the stipend is below a living wage? But there's, there's an obvious answer to that question. But presumably the, the world-class researchers, we're talking about people who are above the... P so I want Orla to come in on this one because <laughs> um, we, we were going there a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How do you get them here and who are they? Um, we, we, we can get them here. So SFI have a great program, the Research Professorship Program, that targets mm -hmm. absolute world leaders. Mm -hmm. Then there's the next stage, the early stage researchers, the stars of the future. So for example, we in UCD have this Ad Astra scheme at the moment, a big faculty recruitment scheme, UCC has one for, for you know, they, they target areas, sustainability this year, where they hire people in cohorts. Then you get back, and I don't want to bang on about funding all the time, but you, you do get back to the funding of higher education, which is also below where we would want it to be. And our ability to hire, we are constrained in the numbers we can hire, by an employment control framework. So, you know, we're kind of hemmed in at every turn, but we are seeking to be as entrepreneurial and as responsive as we can, because we understand that it is exactly as you say. We, we need to develop our people within our system. We need to bring in new talent, but the new talent won't come if they can't get PhD students to come and work with them in Ireland. So every part of the system is interconnected. They won't come to Ireland if you attract them in with a big initial grant, but they can't see a sustainable path to research funding in Ireland. John, is that a problem that you can identify with? Absolutely. Coming from the other side, um, the commercial world as well, the non-research world, there's a war for talent, you know, we don't use that word anymore, but um, we're really struggling. We have our own scientists that we, we hire, um, and we're really struggling to, to hire people as well. Um, uh, what I would say is a lot of the Irish PhDs, whether they were born around or they've, they've come in, 
They are excellent. Right? The, the, the candidates that, that we have are really, really superb. And maybe the, a lot of them may not stay in their deep domain area of expertise, but it's their way of thinking and their, their kind of aptitude. The skill sets are important, the basic science understanding, but many of the PhDs that we hire may not actually work in their job with us in their domain expertise, but they have a fantastic way of thinking and problem solving, which is much, much superior. We've hired people in, in the States and in the UK and in Canada, and the the quality of the Irish graduates is, is second to none in the world. They're absolutely world class. But, but big, big, uh, big uh, um, competitive situation out there to hire people. One of the big themes of this program of, of engagements <coughs> is <coughs> investing and developing uh, possibilities which will m lead to a sustainable economy. So, how important is that, Philip? And uh, you know, how, to what extent is, is, it, is it in proper focus? Um, it's extremely important. I mean, the government has a new strategy for um, uh, research and innovation impact 2030. And that, again, <coughs> is kind of rebalancing the portfolio. And, and really, like the opening statement of that talks about the vision for the future being about the environmental, social, and economic and human impacts of the research that we do. Uh, so, so that's written clear. And then separately, importantly, we, we have these 16 research centres that we're mm -hmm. talking about. They've performed extremely well. And we're now taking the long view of where do we want those to be in the 2030 to 2050 decades. Um, and in, in thinking that through, that, like the principal themes there are climate, food, digital health, those kinds of mm -hmm. areas that we need national research infrastructures in those spaces and we need them sustainably in the long term because that's what's going to give us the capacity in our role to offer up like real and tangible solutions um, uh, to climate, ecological, biodiversity, uh, food security issues. And of course, day by day, Orla, we're seeing the price of everything rising. We see the energy crisis. How is that I mean, it, it, it obviously is going to concentrate minds among people like yourself. Yeah, I mean, in terms of running our operations, obviously, but also in terms of the research that we need mm -hmm. to do for the longer term. And, and we've got really exciting things happening in Ireland in sustainability research, you know, and it plays very well to our base. You know, the research where we are most successful are, you know, is there kind of, does it make sense for us as a country? And sustainability mm -hmm. absolutely does for us as a green island. Do we have, you know, a proposition in Ireland? And we really do in terms of wind energy. You can see a huge proposition associated with Ireland in terms of our oceans. You know, again, there's a proposition there. But we've we been hearing about that for decades, haven't yeah. we? I mean, yeah. have we much to show for it? Oh, we do. I mean, in terms of wind energy, UCD, you know, in electronic engineering, my home department, we were researching wind energy back in the 1970s, my mm. colleague Henri de Poire, I don't know if colleagues would remember Henri. So, you know, we, we were doing that. And then as time went on, this became absolutely a national uh, essential and, and, and we worked so well with, with the uh, electricity companies to you know bring that knowledge to the grid. Many of our graduates are working in terms of wind integration onto the grid. So you can see in terms of something mm -hmm. like wind integration onto our grid, where Ireland is truly world leading, you can trace that back to research that was being done in UCD before it was popular and profitable mm -hmm. back in the 1970s. So yeah, we, we've been doing it, we've been making progress. We, we can do more, we can put the foot down on the pedal I think a lot faster now. And I suppose there are areas beyond the academic and the Science Foundation Ireland um, to do with planning oh, yeah. and environmental concerns. I mean, there are those blockages that 
over which I think you have no control. But, but, but again, and, and Philip mentioned earlier, the need for social sciences mm. research to be embedded with the STEM mm. disciplines, and we absolutely support that. And we're seeing great opportunities there. Someone like Lisa Ryan in the School of Economics in UCD is doing great work in terms of energy integration. And we need those different viewpoints to be brought to bear on the problem. Yeah, John, as we know, scaling uh, innovation, entrepreneurship, I mean, mm -hmm. research and development, all of these ideas. And I take the point you were making earlier, there, there are differences and there, sure. there, there are nuances between them. But key enablers, obviously, in developing a sustainable Irish economy. Now, do you think we're structured appropriately? As somebody who's got a lot of experience internationally and has also yeah. been, if you like, having to put the theory into practice. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I'm very, very positive. I think uh, Ireland innovation entrepreneurship is a very positive story. I think the Irish innovation and entrepreneurship is about people. It's about telling stories, about transferring enthusiasm. I think Irish uh, generally, that's a cultural thing we're very good at, um, getting people to buy into your story, that kind of confidence you were talking about. But also, I think physically, we're, we're geographically quite compact, um, and there's an amazing ecosystem. Um, even events like this, uh, where people want to come together and discuss the issues. We have the IDA, we have SFI, we have Enterprise Ireland, we've got the big universities, we've got other fantastic network groups like the American Chamber of Commerce, uh, IRGG. Um, so there's a really good innovation culture here. Um, I also, you mentioned earlier, Sean, about the, the kind of the politics, and there's a lot of politics within academia, there's a lot of politics within medicine. I think one of the, the things that's worked really well is the, the technology parks. Um, so if you look at Research Triangle Park in North America or even Silicon Valley, the models they followed is you have a center of excellence, a teaching center of excellence, you then would have a research institute, and then you have a technology park, and you have those three areas. So you have the academics and the Ivy quadrangles and the corduroy jackets or whatever it may be, but that's their center of excellence. And we as vulgar venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, we don't go in there. There's a little bit more industry liaison in an institute, um, and then ultimately you go down to the technology park. And I've seen conversations that wouldn't happen in a university campus about funding, about money, about um, collaborative research. Physically take those people out of those buildings and bring them to a technology park, mm. and suddenly conversations can actually occur um, with venture capitalists and, and researchers. It's just a different environment. It's a very small kind of psychological tool, but bringing people to, to incubation centers and technology parks allow that translation of R&D and research excellence to a commercial and then if it's, done, if it's done well, we're not talking about property speculation in the last boom. We're talking about intellectual property, which is what people have, have said, Moira Gagan Quinn said, will be you know, the crude oil of Ireland going forward. And I think we can really foster that intellectual property. Um, we used to export our people, but now we're exporting our ideas. And I think that whole culture we have in Ireland, I think, sets us up to, to do very well going forward. Yeah, um, and of course, as we know, uh, Philip, it's not just in your own area that there's a new head, you're the new head of, uh, our Director General of SFI, but there's a new CEO in Enterprise mm -hmm. Ireland. There will shortly be a, a new uh, Chief Executive in IDA Ireland. Um, it's possibly an opportunity to review and reset, and yeah. against the background as well of Brexit happening, and it's caused us a lot of problems, but is there an opportunity there as well for Irish research, innovation, and entrepreneurship, uh, and particularly looking into that uh, Horizon Fund in Europe? Yeah, I th so first of all, yes, it is an opportunity. It's, yeah. it, 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 like change is always an opportunity for renewal. It's also important not to drop the ball. Um, uh, 
there is an opportunity. I mean, we really heavily depend upon UK networks of research. Uh, many of us train there. We have very strong connections there. So again, this is one for the long game. I think the important thing for us is, um, and it, we hope to make some announcements in the next couple of months about strengthening ties across the border on this island and east-west at the same time. So the, the, the fundamental thing we need to know is really maintain those strong cultural connections into the long term and, and help the UK, frankly, rebuild its relationship uh, uh, with European research funding insofar as we can, but certainly maintain our own links. There's one other point I'd like to make, if, mm -hmm. you, if you don't mind. Um, uh, the thing that worries me most right now, when we talk about climate, is a, a kind of a transition that's a bit like the, the technology transfer innovation transition. Is, is how do we, per se, governments and societies to decide? I think, you, you know, that's the, that was the, one of the core challenges of the pandemic was we know what the problem is, mm. we know what the technical solutions are, and they involve very significant changes in behaviour as well as adoption of those technical solutions. So there's a need for, and for us, actually, as, as funders and academic institutions, to rethink that kind of policy and behavioural transfer mm -hmm in the way that we talk about technology transfer, uh, and to invest in it. Um, so just, I think we need to keep that in our minds. Part of the reason why you don't think you see the benefits yeah, is, bec is because society as a whole and governments are not necessarily adopting the solutions that they know they need to adopt. And I'm beginning to see that as a failure on our part to persuade. And in, in that context, I suppose, agriculture is an area which is close to the heart of this R RDS society yeah. going back centuries. Um, and there's an expectation as well, I think, maybe a desperation on the part of some agriculture interest, lobbyists and so forth, that science is going to provide the solution to meeting the targets or the way of meeting the targets that are being set for farmers or for agriculture in general. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's a combination of both. Mm. I mean, if, you if you take something like Farm Zero C, which is a very good example of engagement with the practitioner mm. and saying, how are we going to work together in a manner that works for both of us? To, to basically bring emissions to, to zero or net zero uh, on a farm. So there's something that we need to change about our practice mm. as researchers and educators in science. And it's similar to the transition we had to go to that got us kind of out of our ivory towers in terms of commercialization. Uh, there's kind of a new commercialization or a societalization. And, and the only way to do that is, is engagement and partnership, to, to sit with the citizen or the practitioner and say, this is our problem, here are the solutions. Why don't these solutions work? Um, can, can we talk to you about the adoption of these solutions? It's, 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 it's far from trivial. I mean, we're only beginning to think through how we do it. We sometimes rely a little bit on our social science colleagues, say maybe they'll fix it first, but actually, yes, they'll help us fix mm -hmm. it. But it is a kind of a slow, hard practice of engagement. And like the Nordics have shown the way in a, a lot of this, and I think it's a lot to do with the way they govern themselves, the experience of minority governments, for instance, where it's all about persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's a long, hard road for us, I think, but one we really have to commit to. So it's a combination of innovation, classically rich. Here's a localised solution. Here's what will work for you, but also a big societal conversation. You've gone from being a relatively anonymous academic <laughs> to being a recognised <laughs> face every time you step outside your door or your gate, Philip. What's the most interesting thing anybody has said to you by way of a total stranger? Is it abuse? Is it a compliment to thank you? What is it? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, it's one of the things, that just, just to, to kind of close out, like Ireland's an extraordinary place to live. Mm. It's, and and that I've, I've been really, I've, and I, I, obviously Tony Hillen's a very good friend of mine, he's had a bit of abuse. Mm. But what most of us has had, have had is just this very gentle gratitude, mm. like really touching and unintrusive. Yeah. Um, so whether people recognize me or not, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but every now and then somebody will just come up and, 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 and say thanks. Okay. I, I suspect they do, and you could prove that statistically too. Yeah, I probably, <laughs> I probably could. But, but, but if you don't mind, this is the thing about talent. Like, this is a really attractive country yeah. to live in. It's attracting talent. We just have to treat them well. Mm. Not exceptionally. It doesn't have to be a gilded package. You just have to treat people well and find them a place well. to live, and we'll thrive. Yeah. Or I will tell you what to tell Simon Harris. Then yeah. 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 Don't do you want to uh, close the proceedings? Look, thanks indeed to all of you, John, Philip, and to Orla, and... Back to Dermot to close our proceedings. Thank you. Thank you.